I'm really excited about um, this message as we kind of come to the end of this whole, what I call, Imagine series, where we've been trying to say what it would would be like if we envisioned God moving among us. And I've been talking about joining and working with other pastors and other churches, and I've been meeting with a number of them. I've had a meeting just uh, last Monday with Tim Westermeyer, who's a pastor at St. Philip down the street. And um, I'd met with him a few weeks even before that, and I knew in between times he had um, been called to jury duty. And so we had to wait until we met. But we've been on this kind of campaign. Imagine a church that serves, and not just a couple local churches, but what if a bunch of local churches came together and began to say around Jesus Christ, let's do whatever it takes to help people serve this West Metro in the name of Christ. Imagine one church celebrating our unity, blessing our community in the name of Jesus. And so we met, and, and I was really intrigued about jury duty because I um, have never been called. So raise your hand if you've been called at least to go to jury duty. Raise it up high. Wow. Now keep your hand high if you actually served on a jury. Wow, there's quite a few. So I, I don't know how I get away with it, but anyway, I'm kind of... <laughs> so fascinated by it that um, I, I was asking Pastor Tim all about his experience and, 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 and he said at one point the judge sequestered him, brought them together as a group and, and instructed them on their responsibility. And, and, and the judge kind of said, I, the judge, decide matters of law. My job is to uphold and interpret that law in this case. Your job, the jury, is to decide matters of evidence. And your job is to uphold and seek to understand and interpret what is really true here with regard to evidence. And he went on to share that one of the primary pieces of evidence is a witness. I thought, oh, that's interesting. He told me, he said, you know, the judge instructed him not to listen to the arguments of the lawyers, which is kind of an interesting thought but to really just kind of hone out what is the evidence, and part of that evidence is a witness. And so he went on and instructed them for an hour because how important this was to understand what is the credibility of a witness because not every witness should be listened to with regard to truth. And so I I contacted uh, Tim and I said, you know, tell me some of those things. He said, well, you can't bring anything out of the court. So he said, but I found here's kind of what he told us. And you know, you can find anything on a website these days. Well, anyway, credibility of the witness. As judges of the facts, the jury, you alone determine the truthfulness and accuracy of the testimony of each witness. You must decide whether a witness told the truth, was accurate, or instead testified falsely or mistaken. You must also decide what the importance to give to the testimony you accept as truthful and accurate. It is the quality of the testimony that is controlling, not the number of witnesses that testify. And then it goes through a whole list of accept and whole in part, credibility factors, there's a bunch of questions around that. Motives you check, benefits that might be their interest or lack of interest, previous criminal conduct, inconsistent statements, consistency with other testimonies. And then it goes about police testimony or people of authority and how do you handle those kind of witnesses. And I thought this really interesting because as I was preparing this message, one of the things that stood out to me when I was reading Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, this 1, 1, 1, 1, we're going to look at 1, 1, 11. Jesus, our Savior, the final judge of the living and the dead, was really into witnesses. As the primary evidence 
of his work in people's lives and throughout the world. It says in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. Evidence. And he appeared to them for over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Because Jesus was really into this whole thing of witness. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Now I want you to read this verse with me because this is like the key verse of of Acts and of this last statement that I'll be reading about Imagine Church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Christ. Listen to verse 8. Let's read it together. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who is taken from you into the heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. And again, there's a sense of a witness. Not only you witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he comes to him, not only will you be witnesses, we as the church, but also you, again, he says to us and to people yet potentially to come, whenever it will be, he says, just as Jesus was physically, bodily, resurrected and ascended and actually went into the heavenly realm. We get this picture of going into heavens like heavens are out there somewhere. Maybe we could just find them in space. It's this realm that is different than this realm that we're in. It's another realm. He goes into this realm of heaven and he says in the same way he stepped into that realm. Someday you will witness. There will be people who will witness his literal actual, physical, bodily return to this earth where he will rule. Not some spiritual presence in people's hearts. That's what it's saying here. And what we've been talking about these three weeks or so is this simple statement, imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve. And that's where we ended last week. We've been talking about this whatever-it-takes kind of mindset combined with this servant-like identity. And it's all, as we come to this last part, about being a witness to our serving others on behalf of another, Jesus. And imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve the West Metro in the name of Christ. It's about who we serve, and this last part about for whom we serve, others in the name of Christ. 
And the last part of all this stuff of witness is pointing to Jesus. And that's what we do in the community that we live in. So let's talk about being a witness for a while. That's what I would like for us to think about. There are a number of lessons that if we look at this passage of Scripture, you can draw from it. I was in the service, uh, in the adult class prior to this, and George was teaching on some stuff that I wish, oh, I wish I had the time to just share some things he taught there. Really powerful stuff. So it says, as we look at this passage, when we look at verses 4 through 8, and particularly 6 through 7, what I want you to understand is our witness at this point in the history of the church, witnessing is to be our first priority. That's what Jesus kind of says. Witnessing is to be our first task that we are to be consumed in a sense with. He says, wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to baptize you, not just sprinkle or pour a little bit of this on you. I'm actually going to immerse you with the Holy Spirit. You think of the showers that came down? That's what's going to happen. You're going to be flooded with the Spirit of God. There'll be this downpour of my power. And the disciples who are slow learners, what I think is interesting, they're hearing all this, and what are they concerned with? If you look at verse... Six. What I find is interesting, they're concerned with, they gather around him and they ask him, Lord, when are you going to come back again? Lord, when are you going to restore the kingdom of God? When are we going to be able to take our seats in this new realm that you're establishing? And I, I, Jesus, you just got to sometimes go, I just want to, he goes, oh man, I've been, how many times do we go through this? I'm just about to leave you guys. I'm just about to kind of, you guys will be really impressed with this next thing, but you know what? Verse 7, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Jesus is really clear about this. Um, and he uses two words here in this particular statement, time and dates. And I don't, I don't really like the way the new NIV translates it. In fact, I think the 1984 version or translation of it is better because it's times and seasons. Because there's two words it uses in the Greek, chronos and kairos, which means chronological time, which means you look at the calendar and you kind of say, on this day it's going to happen. You know how people are predicting it's going to be this day? And kairos is a very interesting word. It means it's season. You'll kind of know. And, and I think it's interesting that Jesus says this, and so I'm going to mess with a little of your, some of you, I'm going to use a big word here, eschatology, your thoughts of the return of Christ. He says time and season, chronos and kairos. He even says we won't even know that season. But you go, well, wait a second. Doesn't he say at one point in Matthew 24? And I, yeah, you know what he says back there? I believe he's talking about you're going to know the season when the fall of Jerusalem. He's talking about that, but he's also talking about the second coming. But here he's making something really clear. Don't spend your time trying to figure it all out. Here's what I want you to spend your time doing from now until I come again. Verse 8, he's really clear. He says, be my witnesses. We're going to have a stretch of time where I want you to go out and be my witnesses. That's your responsibility. And don't get caught up with this word witness in the sense it's primarily about talking. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But the witness is the sense that you just testify in the sense that your life, your actions, and all that you do point to Jesus. There's a little statement some of you are familiar with. It's attributed to Francis of Sisi. 
but scholars kind of doubt whether it really was to him, but it really doesn't matter. It says, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Actions always speak louder than words. We're to serve in the name of Christ, which means you need to know your purpose. We talked about last week, which you are called to serve. That's our purpose. And that means we need to know also that we're to use our position, whatever you're doing, wherever you're at. Your first priority is this, to serve others in the name of Jesus as a witness to his love changing your life. Now, there's another lesson. Witnessing is not just something that he says to be our first priority, that that's what we're supposed to engage and spend our month, you know, our time and energy in. He says witnessing, for those of you who you get... I mean, I have to tell you, as a, as a kid and in college, when people would talk about witnessing, I'd get nervous. Anybody get nervous? Oh, man. I'm glad people are honest here, okay? I'm going to share with you that witnessing is not something to be nervous about at all, okay? I, I don't think we have what Jesus really intends by it. Witnessing is really quite easy. It's our first priority, but it's to be quite easy, That's why in verse 8 he says, you will be my witnesses. And I thank God he didn't say you're to be my theologians or my philosophers or my apologists or my preachers or my teachers or even, he didn't even say evangelists. Because an evangelist is someone who actually uses words and stories and, 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 and are people who can defend the faith. And they're the kind of people who can share the faith in such a way. It's so compelling. that it, it, It's got such a sense of the spirit of God because it's a spiritual gift. That as they share that, the person in you just, just seems to, you know, the kind of person that you hear all the time, they're bringing people to a faith relationship to Christ. But what he says here is witness, which is really a different meaning. To be a witness is a lot easier than what I just explained. It's just reporting to other people about your own experience. The experience you have had with the living God. Your job as a witness is not to prove the existence of God or explain the nature of the Trinity or exegete some particular passage of Scripture. You should go, oh, that's really nice to know. I'm so grateful that Jesus, in his wisdom actually created a, a, a track for people who are nervous about this whole idea of witness. And I call it, it it's evangelism for dummies. You ever see those for dummy books? Now, if you go to Mark chapter 5, there's this incredibly great story. And as you come to the end of it, Jesus kind of lays out what a witness actually does and looks like. To get the picture of this, and we're going to look at this at Mark chapter 5, you, you get the picture. Jesus has just come as they're going across Lake Galilee, this kind of bowl where at times the winds and the waves would come up out of nowhere. And you thought this storm just kind of hit us like that, you know? This, they would hardly have any idea, and this, this lake being some eight miles across, they would be going across, it could be in the middle of it, and a storm would come up, and, and just kind of like a bowl, the water would just go... Um, 10, 12 feet high, this water would be shaking them up and, and they're in the middle of this lake and the storm hits and they're trying to get the water out. Jesus is in the back sleeping. Peter gets upset and says, Jesus, are you, don't you even care we're going to drown. Jesus gets to the front, stands up and he calls out to the winds and the waves. He says, be quiet. And it's still. Nature quiets down in his presence. And the disciples are like, 
And the word is used as terror. And when we go through this, there are going to be two things you can find about the presence of God. It brings a sense of terror, the sense of this inner sense of, of reverence and fear and awe, and the sense of I am really, really little. I, can, I, I am compa- compared to that. And they're filled with this sense of reverence, terror, fear, awe. And it says terrified. And they look at each other and they go, whoa. This guy, even the winds and the waves obey him. Who is he? They get to the other side, and as they're getting out of the boat, they're in this land of the Gergesenes where it's a Gentile area. And you know it's a Gentile area, first from historically and other contexts, but even the fact that there's a, a, a group of pigs, because Jews would not herd pigs. If that's what you do, herd them, I don't know. Anyway, And this guy comes running down to him who is disheveled. He's a wreck. You can tell he has not washed or bathed. He's got chains hanging from him. And he's out of his mind. He is crazy. He comes running at Jesus. And there again, I'm sure, terrified. And he falls at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, my name is Legion. Which means the Legion army was like a thousand or so. For we are many, he said. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. So you're going to see the sense of fear and terror and awe in the presence of God. But then also the sense of people who are begging because this God they want to do something for him. And so what happens is Jesus, in mercy, sends these demons into these pigs. And these pigs go over the cliff and they die. Now, I was thinking about this. Anybody, do you know what you call a group of pigs? Anybody have an answer to that one? Okay, it all depends what they're... I, this is educational today. Um, it all depends on the young pigs, because young pigs are adrift, a drove, or a litter. But if they're older pigs, they're a sounder of swine, or a team or passel of hogs, or a singular of boars. So how do you like that? Now you've learned something here today. So Jesus sends a legion of spirits into a sounder of swine who go over the cliff. And Mark says, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were, what do you think they were? Afraid. Again, note all the begging. First, the legion of demons, they come to Jesus begging, don't, don't. Begging again and again. Next, Mark records, the people began to plead with Jesus, and they begged him to leave their their region. They couldn't afford his presence with all the pigs they lost. And then if you look at verse 18, this guy who has been cleansed of demons is begging Jesus again. Verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Which makes sense. What a great story he would be on the team. Jesus has a great moment here, and here's what Jesus says. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. Go home and just witness. That's what he's saying. This is, this, is, this is evangelism for dummies. 
He basically is just saying, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which was this ten cities which were not of uh, many Jews in it, and, and he told how much Jesus had done for them, and all the people were amazed because what he was doing was Jesus knew that his story would be kind of a pre-evangelism, so when he came, the time was right. Part of what your witness is is you're telling people about what God does for you. Do it in a very natural way. You live your life, and you live in such a way that you serve and you have grace, and, and they look at your life, they can't understand how you can have sometimes strength in the midst of, uh, in the midst of, of difficulty, and then they're, they're in their heart, they, they, they ask for the hope that lies within you, and at a certain point you say, here's what God has done in my life, and hopefully you're not just referring to something that happened when you're 14, when you raised your hand at camp, but you're able to say, this is what God's been doing in my life this week. And it's not your job to convert them. It's not your job to go, okay, now let me, here's the four laws. And go. It's just your job to witness to the activity of the Holy Spirit because he said, go home, go back to that place because at some point, your witness will be followed up where someone who's seeking God, someone will come along, another link on the chain, and they will come to faith in Christ. Witnessing is really pretty easy it's going home wherever you are where you work where you live where you socialize where you go to school sports teams you play on whatever it may be it's just going there living in a relationship with jesus so that when those times come you can tell people how much god has done for you and you can even say he's had mercy on me because i am a sinner just like you It's really just telling your story. Let's just say this. Someone um, has a nasty barbecue stain on their sweater. Yeah, you kind of, some of you go, ooh. And it's not just any sweater, but it's a sweater you recently bought and you really, really like. And it's not just only a sweater you really like, it's one that you know you paid way too much for. That was me a week ago. I'm standing in the parking lot with some friends. We had just had dinner. I had barbecue ribs, and I was wearing some of them on the sweater. I didn't even see, and the guy kind of reaches out and and says, ooh, ooh, that's too bad. Right there, and a couple here, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, and then all of a sudden he has this look of, oh, that'll leave a mark, and he says, wow, those are tough stains to get out. (laughs) I'm going, shoot. And I even can ask Grace. I was like beside myself for the next hour. Anyway, at that point, I didn't want someone telling me the chemistry behind a product that gets a stain out. I I could care less. I don't want someone who majors in in physics and and can show and tell me the explanation from a physics standpoint of how the stain is removed. I don't want someone who is going to share with me, um, in a sense their own story and, 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 and kind of be in misery with me and how they ended up, you know, just didn't work. I want someone who can tell me their story about a bad barbecue stain and how they got it out. Right? Period. I want a witness. I don't want a chemist, a physicist. I don't want a friend who cares a lot. I just want someone who did it and said, yeah, this happened to me and this is, you know, I got it out and wow, I was a fool. I got it over me. 
People who are hungry for God, their family is in a, in a mess, their, their marriage is heading south, they don't have joy in their life, or they don't have a sense of purpose, or they're weighed down by their guilt of the choices, of the sin that they've committed in their lives. They're not looking for someone to give them an explanation of the Trinity. They're not looking for someone to exegete a passage of Scripture. They just want a witness that says, my life was like this, and now it's like this. I live with a hope. I live with a presence. I live with a peace. You know, I know we don't all do this well, and we're all on a journey, and I know in my own life I'm just trying to learn how to to live that out more fully so that my life will really match up with what the Word of God has to say so that when I'm out there, the Word of God is in me in such a way that a person will begin to see the demonstration of peace, the change, the, the, the humanness, the reality of my own struggle, that the, it's not that you don't have emotions and struggles, but they see you so human, so alive, and yet so much filled with the presence of God. That's, uh, witnessing is really easy. At one point, these guys were badgering this guy who had been blind, and, 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 and they're trying to figure out how he knows Jesus, and how Jesus, you know, they're asking him all kinds of questions, and he finally says, you know, stop it. I don't know anything but one thing. I know one thing. I was once blind, but now I see. And that's what he says. That's how easy it is. It's to be a priority. It's the way we're to live our life. It's really quite simple. Don't let anyone make it harder than it is. And it always begins at home. Jesus said, go home to the man filled with demons. Jesus says to the disciples, be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. Start right where you live. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes right where they live. Imagine a group of churches coming together with believers all in the same areas, maybe going to different local churches, but coming together in such a way that they hold up the name of Christ right where they live, right in the communities that we're in. Imagine a church that does whatever it takes to serve This West Metro, these very communities that we live in, in the name of Christ. Jesus began in Jerusalem, then go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But start here. Our witnesses would be 24-7. And why I think he says start at home is because it's so easy to live our life a little bit removed than right with the people we most love where do you act sometimes your best probably with people that you're trying to make an impression on where should you be acting your best with the person that you love the most that's where the power of God and the witness begins And I have no business standing up here and we have no business going out without first saying, God, it's going to start at home. It's going to be where I live. Now, this is no excuse to not go out. But it's an understanding that it's a 24-7, God, it's going to start right where I am right now, right where I live with those closest to me. That's one of the reasons that Jesus says, start here. Another is he wants our witness to be authentic. He wants it to be credible. 
Because sometimes when we start letting, you know, concentrating out here, it's really easy to have this kind of hypocrisy, this kind of gap between the two. Another reason I think he wants it to start at home is because he wants our witness to be personal and close. In fact, one of the reasons he says Jerusalem, and he builds into Judea and then even to Samaria, he does these kind of ever-widening circles because you know what happens from, from Jerusalem to Samaria? As you start moving out, Samaria were the people, the Samaritans were the people that the Jews hated because they didn't like the way they worshiped God, they didn't like their lifestyle, they didn't like all these things, and so they just wrote them off. One of the reasons he says go to Samaria is because when you get up close and personal with people, you ever think about this, that you, at one point you thought of a group of people, then all of a sudden you get to know them. You get to know one person. Does it change your life? Do you have more compassion? Of course. He doesn't say truth changes. He just says you change. Because now instead of standing in judgment, as you get close to people and you bring them home to you, you have a different relationship and love for them. I just want to encourage you, if you are having trouble, if you really have trouble with homeless people and, you're, and you drive by and your first thoughts are, what a bunch of, la- what a lazy bum. Maybe it would be good to spend some time getting to know someone or a few of people in a shelter. There are some lazy bums. No one's going to deny that. There's some lazy bums here. Right? Okay, I saw some wives just kind of whack their husband. You know, I've been telling you to fix that thing at home. There's another reason he says then that our witness should be at home and then begin to start moving out into these other widening circles, especially as we begin to think of these groups of people that we can't stand and we begin to get close to them. One of the reasons he calls us to keep moving out and finally to the ends of the earth is because one of the problems with the church is we get comfortable. We, get, we lose our mission. And it's all about making sure that the seats are comfortable, which I can't wait. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know what I mean though? I, I was thinking about this morning when I was preparing my heart for the message, and there was, I don't remember this illustration exactly, but I think it was like Hatteras, uh, is it North Carolina or South Carolina? That area. Well, anyway, there's this place out there where many ships would get wrecked, and there was a lighthouse there, and they put up the lighthouse, the purpose of the lighthouse, and they developed this team of people that they would call on, and this, you know, the town would come to it, and they would help get the goods in, and they would help take care of the people who were lost, and over time, that little lighthouse group instead of being their mission helping save people, began to kind of become this community where they had dinners together and they started this social club and then they started a golf club and eventually they lost their whole purpose and they were just this club. They were a club that were just complaining about all the different things that needed to happen within the club. Our primary responsibility is to witness and it is easy and it needs to begin at home, and it needs the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. Witnessing becomes effective. Jesus was clear about this. He told them in verses 4 and 5, don't leave Jerusalem. Don't try and do it on your own. It's not your job to convert anybody. I want you to wait. I want you to kind of depend on. I want you to begin to in your life. Listen to and go into the leading of the Spirit. And then when you go, I want you to go in all boldness, knowing that the power of God will flow through you because God loves those who are lost.
He will go to the one sheep, lamb, sheep, whatever, that is lost. I believe God will demonstrate his spirit with power. I believe he wants to do it in our community. He wants to heal. But I believe to those who are lost, he does amazing, marvelous, wonderful, awe-inspiring things through the power of his spirit because he loves them and he wants to waken them up and he wants them to know that their life truly matters. And he wants us to wait and go in the power and the leading of the Holy Spirit. So another point, verses 4 and 5, he says, wait, because I want you to be baptized, immersed, flooded with the Spirit. He goes in verse 8 and he says again, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will then be my witnesses. Imagining that we've been imagining will become reality when we fully surrender to God. Imagining becomes reality when we will, will actually obey boldly when he prompts us. And imagining becomes reality when we live daily lives filled with the Holy Spirit. About 25 years ago, I was in the ministry at Village Church, which is just in Independence. And I, at that time, shared this story with the pastor who was then Pastor John Vauder here. And I had shared with him what had happened. And then I found out years later, I was reading one of his books, I think on virtues or something, on common virtues or something like that. The story that I told him. And uh, I I think he must have told me when he did it. But anyway, he said, I I had been praying for a couple of years for this lady's daughter in our church. And this, this woman who came to me and she shared with me her daughter's story, who when she got into high school, she got into drugs and she got into a very poor lifestyle and started hanging out with people she shouldn't. She got started hanging out in the uh, Minneapolis kind of gangs area. Eventually left school, went out to L.A., was in the L.A. Watts area, and she was at that time a part of either the Cribs or Bloods or whatever that group was. And she was... I mean, she, I had seen pictures of her when she was in high school and pictures of her at this point, and you could hardly tell she was the same person. She looked like 30, 40, it was just weather-beaten, this high schooler. And one Sunday, I was preaching, and to my surprise and to her mother's surprise, she showed up in church, she sat in the back with her mother. And I was actually preaching on the prodigal son. Coincidence? God has a funny way of working, and I'm preaching this message, and I can see, and she's in the back, and tears are coming down, and she's kind of just crumpled over. And after the service, I took her, and I, I just said, do you want to meet in my office? And, and she said yes, and she didn't want her mother there, so I just brought in another um, leader of the church, and the three of us were in there, and, and I asked her, I said, did this make sense to you? And she said, yes. Do you want to receive Jesus as your Savior? She said yes, and so I prayed a prayer. She prayed the prayer, and I kind of was just watching her see what God was doing in her life, and I just asked her a few questions. I asked her, how are you doing? And, and, and she was kind of hesitant and didn't say much. And I was going, God, so what's going on here? I mean, I don't know, you know, do I just tell her to go? And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I had this, I, I kind of heard or had this impression of the Spirit in my heart. And the words were, ask her to invite the Holy Spirit into her life. Well, that's not my tradition. I love how God just kind of breaks things. He goes, you know, you just worry about my tradition. I'll do it my way. So I'm thinking, and I'm wrestling a little bit in my head with this, and then I thought, you know what? I said I'd do anything that Jesus told me to do. 
And I just looked at her and I said, would you be willing to ask the Holy Spirit to fill your being? And she said, sure. And I prayed and I led her through a prayer and she began to weep and then she began to moan and then she began to, I mean, I'm talking about the kind of crying that's really gross, you know, snotty and <laughs> heaving and moaning, you know, I don't want to, I'm kind of like, and, and honestly, she's moaning and she's, she's crying so deeply, I just, I was a bit afraid myself, I didn't know what to do and I'm I, kind of, Lord, what do I do? And I stood beside her and comforted her and at one point when she was able to gather herself, she looked at me and she just said, I, I am beginning to feel my body. I'm actually feeling some emotions. I haven't felt this since I was a little girl. I don't get what's going on. She said, when I said, Holy Spirit, fill me, I can't describe what I felt, but actually I, I felt feeling in my body that I hadn't felt because I think now as I had thought and processed but she had a dead in everything in her body. And I just realized how important the Holy Spirit is. I truly believe that when you receive Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit enters you, but I believe a lot of people... The word of God says to be filled on a constant basis. I believe a lot of us as people don't live in the daily surrender where we say, Spirit of God, fill me. I'm not going to be afraid of you. I'm not going to worry about what you call and ask me to do. I'm going to be obedient to you because you know my heart. I received a letter from one of the 80-year-olds in our uh, attenders in our church. And I had lunch with this person. And, and they wrote, thanks for our time together the other day. I... I want to encourage you in our church to have a mighty longing for God. God the Father sent his son Jesus, and Jesus our Savior sent his spirit to us, and the Holy Spirit is God with us today. I thought, well, that's good theology. And then he shared this commitment that he had made, and he said he asked other people to make. He says, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Tell him the Holy Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, if you don't, you know, he's outlining this for me from a theological standpoint, okay. That you may, that you want to be led by him on a daily basis. Tell him that you would like to have a close, intimate relationship with him and that you want these, the word of God to be alive in your life. And then he said, and has encouraged people, make a commitment for the next 30 days to pray these petitions every morning. There are, I'm going to put this, they're in the back by the info table. We'll put them on Facebook. I'm going to run through them quickly, so if you want them, you can get them. I would encourage you to do this for 30 days. Holy Spirit, this day be real to me. Fill me with your spirit. These seven commitments. Two, Holy Spirit, I want you to guide my thought life. I want to have a spiritual conscience. Three, I want you to be in my relationship with my wife or husband or with my family or those closest to me. Four, I want you to be in all of my daily activities, my job, my social life, my friends. Five, I promise to read my Bible daily, asking you, Holy Spirit, to reveal your truths to me. Six, this day, Holy Spirit, I want to be all that I can be with you directing my life. And seven, Holy Spirit, with your help, I will be your witness. I will serve in the name of Christ. I'm going to ask some of you that the Spirit of God might be kind of prompting your heart to kind of go on his journey with me, to be a witness, these next 30 days to take these seven commitments and just pray them in your heart daily.
But I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand right at this moment. And um, if you would stand. And if you would be willing to pray this prayer. And I, I don't want you to pray it unless this is your heart. So I'm going to pray it first. Holy Spirit, fill us, your body, right here, right now that we would be your witness here and everywhere. Amen. Now, I want you to think about it because I want us to be a church that is not just imagining that whatever we do and whatever it takes to do it, that we'll be servants in this West Metro area in the name of Christ, but I want us to be filled with the Spirit of God. And I pray this is a historic moment in our body. That we together would say, Holy Spirit. And we would pray this together. If you want to pray that, pray this with me. Holy Spirit, fill us, your body, right here. Right now that we would be your witness, here and everywhere. Amen. Father, thank you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.